Hey now, all you beautiful creepsters out there in Sinisterland. This is your wild witchy friend Willow in Tucson, and you're listening to a paranormal chicks. Y'all ain't scared now, are ya? Hmm, maybe you should be. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 77. And you just heard that sultry intro by Willow. Thank you for that. Okay, we see you, Willow. Well, we hear you, but yeah. You get the point. The podcast version of We See You. Yeah. Hey, if y'all want to do an intro like Willow, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, let's jump right in. This one is called Growing Up Haunted. Hey, you beautiful ladies. I absolutely love your podcast and listen to it obsessively. You've got me through many hours of long, tedious commutes to and from work. You make me laugh so hard I almost have to pull over so I don't wreck. Oh, God, don't wreck. From the very first podcast of yours I listened to, when I heard your witty banter, hilarious comments, and compassionate commentary, I knew I'd found my podcast home. I have had quite a few creepy experiences in my life, but I thought it would be good to share my earliest experiences first. So here goes. I have been fascinated with the paranormal and unexplained for as long as I can remember. I imagine that I owe much of that to the experiences I had during my childhood that convinced me, even at a relatively early age, that there is much more in this world than we can possibly understand. I spent the bulk of my childhood in a mid-sized town in the middle of Illinois, surrounded by corn and soybean fields. When I was about 10 years old, my parents moved us to a bigger home to accommodate our growing family, a 100-year-old two-story brick house at the end of a dead-end street on the northern edge of town, backed by a couple of acres of woods that were perfect for exploring. Sounds like a scary movie. The previous owner had been an avid traveler and a bit of an eccentric, at least by our town standards, and had kept a collection of fascinating items from his world travels in glass cases in the upstairs of the house that he had installed for that purpose. Although our new home was roomy, our family was large, and I had to share a bedroom on the top floor with one of my three sisters. My two brothers shared a bedroom next to ours, and my parents' bedroom was downstairs next to the nursery. As the oldest in my family, I stood to be the first in line to get the small bedroom downstairs that was currently used as a nursery for my baby sister, and I couldn't wait. I got along with my sisters, but temperamentally, we couldn't be more different. Where I was quiet, introverted, and mellow, they both tend to be more high-strung and emotional. This will come into play a little later in the story. I don't remember when I first noticed weird things happening in that house, but I imagine It wasn't too long after we moved in, and it was always in the bedroom my sisters and I shared. As an introvert, I relished quiet time to myself away from my boisterous siblings, so when I could, I would spend extended periods of time in the upstairs bedroom when my sisters weren't around, sitting on the carpeted floor, reading or drawing. The first strange thing that I began to notice was that things would sometimes inexplicably go missing, only to appear in an unlikely location elsewhere in the room. For example, I would be immersed in reading my book and reach out for the mug of tea that I had set down next to me, 
only to discover that it wasn't there. I'd look around in bewilderment, afraid that I may have knocked it over or something, but there was no mug anywhere around me. I'd search around, only to eventually find it on my desk or a bookshelf on the other side of the room. Or I would be completely immersed in doing a drawing and reach out next to me where I'd laid out my drawing pencils and erasers, only to find them gone. After searching around, I might find them in the desk drawer or on my dresser. It made no sense. And it wasn't so much scary as just unexplicable and very strange. I didn't see the point in mentioning it to anyone since I knew that there was no logical explanation for it. My parents would never believe me and would probably accuse me of lying and I knew my sisters would freak out completely if I mentioned it. So I kept my observations to myself. Whatever or whoever was doing this, it seemed to be a playful entity that was only having a bit of fun. So it never really bothered me. Little did I know that this playful being would soon move on to target my sisters. One day, one of my sisters was looking through the closet in our room for something to wear when I heard her say, hey, what's this thing doing in here? She emerged from the closet with a yellow sticker that she had found adhering to one of her blouses. I took a look. It was one of those inspection stickers that workers in garment factories used to stick on articles of clothing to show it had been inspected for defects and to indicate which worker had done the inspection. This sticker read, inspected by number 28. She commented how strange it was that she had never seen a sticker on that blouse before. She wadded up the sticker and threw it away. We thought nothing more of it. Until it happened again. A few days later, my other sister was going through the closet and looked for something to wear, and she too found a yellow sticker that read, inspected by number 28, on an article of clothing. Now, we were really mystified, because most of the clothes that we owned were homemade, as a child of the Great Depression, my mother never wasted anything, especially money, and saw no point in buying clothes when we could make them ourselves. So there would be no reason to find an inspection sticker on our clothes. We kind of shrugged and blew it off until it happened again. And then again. Now, my sisters were really starting to freak out. They refused to get clothes out of the closet by themselves and instead insisted that I go in and get out the articles of clothing that they described for me. If there's a sticker on it, don't tell me, one sister yelled, bordering on hysteria. I don't want to know. At first, I was somewhat amused by this, thinking that it was an especially good prank that my brother Mike, two years my junior, was playing on our younger sisters. But the more genuinely scared they became, the more I realized that the joke had gone too far and it was time to put a stop to it. So I privately confronted my brother and told him to knock it off because he was really scaring them. He looked at me blankly and told me he didn't know what I was talking about. I described the ongoing saga of the mysterious inspection stickers showing up sporadically on their clothes, and he insisted that he wasn't behind it. Here's the thing about my brother Mike. He was quite the practical joker when we were kids, but whenever we would confront him about one of his pranks, he simply could not keep a straight face. He would always break out in what we called his foolish grin, which was a sure sign that he was guilty of the prank. Not so this time. He seemed genuinely perplexed, and that scared the crap out of me, because once again, I had no logical explanation for what was going on, but this time, it was affecting my sisters. I could handle the unknown, okay, but my sisters, not so much. So from that time on, until the sticker sightings tapered off, I was the one who would go in our bedroom closet to retrieve their clothes. After a time, the drama from the mysterious stickers 
faded. But then I began to notice something else that was even harder to explain away. As I'd mentioned, the previous owner of the house had installed large glass cases in the upstairs of the house to display the curiosities he collected during his world travels. One of these cases was in the bedroom I shared with my sisters. It was pretty massive. It took up about half of the wall space on one side of the room and consisted of a series of three long glass shelves encased by thick, heavy plates of glass on the front and sides. In order to get into the case, it was necessary to remove the thick glass end panel and slide down each respective panel of glass to get the section you wanted. We had been forbidden by my dad to get into that case, and even if we wanted to, we wouldn't have been able to, all of us being under the age of 10. None of us were strong enough to lift and slide those heavy glass panels. In this glass case were displays of dolls from around the world that my aunt, herself a world traveler, had collected and sent to us as gifts. I was never interested in dolls myself, but sometimes while lying in bed, I would look at them and imagine the faraway lands where they came from and the kids in those countries who played with them. Early one morning, I was lying in bed trying to put off the moment when I had to wake up my sisters and get ready for school. When I idly looked over at the display case as I had so many times before, suddenly I sat up and stared, stunned to see that one of the dolls in the case was turned backwards. Struggling to wrap my head around what I was seeing and tried to think of some explanation for how it could have happened, but I came up blank. There was simply no way that someone could have gotten into that display case during the night and turned the doll around. My brother couldn't have possibly managed it, even if he tried. I would certainly have heard it, since I've always been a very light sleeper and moving those heavy glass panels was a noisy business. With a lump in my throat, I woke up my sisters and tried hard not to look at the doll or the glass case as we got ready for school, knowing that the freak out they'd had in response to the inspection sticker was nothing compared to how they would react if they noticed that one of the dolls in the display case had somehow managed to turn around completely on its own. Each night when I went to bed, I made a mental note of the position each doll was in, and every morning when I woke up, I immediately looked with trepidation to see what positions they were in now. Sometimes many days or even a week would go by with nothing out of the ordinary, and then I would notice that one of the dolls was in a different position again. Over time, it just became one more strange thing that I encountered in that house, and I came to accept it. This has been my attitude towards the paranormal ever since. I have always marveled in the fact that there is so much more to this world than we can ever understand. So rather than be afraid when the unexplained occurs, I just try to appreciate the wonder of it all and embrace the things that defy our every attempt to explain them away. I've had some paranormal experiences in my adult life, but I'll save those stories for another time. Creep on, creeping on, K flow. Holy crap. Well, dolls... No, mm-hmm. they're all haunted to me. Two, those garment tags, it creeps me out anyway. I don't know why. It's just because to know that somebody else, like, you know somebody else touched your clothes, but, like, to know somebody touched your clothes. Yeah. And two, it's like they inspected it. I don't know. Yes, it's because I am paranoid, and I never knew I was that bad until I say the shit I say on the mm-hmm. podcast and then I'm like no that's weird uh-huh. yeah no okay no one would purposely do anything to the thing but then you're like no Carrie did a story on someone who did that you know what I mean like and I go every time uh, I go MK Ultra 
Like, every yeah. time that you're like, no, it could never, no, MK Ultra, Right. And, like, literally, whenever, this will make you feel better, maybe. But whenever I said that about, like, it's the fact that someone inspected it, like, I just pictured them slipping something, like, sharp or, like, a tracker in the scene. Yes, yes. And some of that comes from my mom having to hem my pants up because I'm, you know, short and round. And so things just didn't ever come in my size. Mm -hmm. I mean, they still kind of don't. But now they have a short inseam for plus size. Thank you, God. Oh, my God. I know. That's been a game changer. Yes. But my mom would have to hem my pants or my shorts shorts or whatever. And so she would put the pins in. But sometimes she would, you know, forget to take them out. Because remember, I tell y'all that my mom had that one finger that would never go down. And I swear to God, she just didn't have a lot of feeling in it. Probably not. And so, but I don't know why that woman would be like, oh, I could feel all the pins with that finger. But she couldn't. And then she'd be like, (laughs) put it on. I'm like, ow. Like, you know, I'd flip out because, again, I don't like needles. And you're very extra when it comes to stuff like that. Because something fucking poked me. No, I know. But it's just like. That like that's one of the things everybody has their thing that they're yeah. over, the top, over the top about. Now, saying that, I used to put my uh, safety pin through the top layer of your skin on your hand. Yeah, but even more than safety pin because that's basic. My <laughs> my button, like new kids on the block buttons. And oh yeah, all like of that. through the first layer of your skin. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. not a, just a regular safety pin. I mean, it's a wonder we all don't have hepatitis. Uh, right. So I don't know why I could do that. But then the thought, of, like, you just have a needle. My, my mom would be like, hey, will you thread this needle for me? And I'm like, is it my hand just going to drop? Like, what the fuck? Do you remember when fingernail piercings were Yes, yes. I used to try to do that, too. Oh, me, too. Well, I didn't never try to, like, actually pierce it. I would just put, like, a... An earring through it. Yeah. No, 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 no. I wasn't even that cool. Because remember, I didn't have pierced ears and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the things. But... Kind of like what holds your keychain together, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Ow! No, I would just put it on there, so it was like a fake oh, piercing. Was my problem was that my fingernails never got long enough. So it was like when they finally did, I'd be like, "Bing," and then they'd break. And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> cut that off." And by cut, I mean bite. <laughs> well, I think our rambling is our own sinister sighting for this episode. Woo! How did we get on? Sticking book it pins and <laughs> earrings through your skin and nails. I don't know. Ripley's believe it or not. <laughs> All right. This one is simultaneously creepy dream with mom. Hello, my creep sisters. Sorry in advance. This is kind of long, but I have to give a bit of backstory to make it make any sense. At least in my head. I'm 24 years old and I have had just a few paranormal experiences in my life. I've never really shared with anyone, especially my family, because the one time I did, my mom just gave me a look like, oh God, this is the one we have to send off to the nut house. That was until my most recent experience. My grandma, however, is a believer as she has had several experiences herself. And if grandma said it happened, it happened. I mentioned my grandmother because when this experience happened, my mom and I were in two separate houses. It was a day after Christmas and my mom was at our house and I was staying the night with my grandma because my grandpa was working a night shift and she's always been scared to stay by herself at night. Well, all the experiences my grandma has had was in this house. It's strange because she's experienced two completely different spirits in this house. 
One is a dark, shadowy figure that she's seen on several different occasions on the ceiling staring down at her while in her bed and obviously would give her the most terrifying feeling. And the other is her father who died when she was a teenager. He was a calming presence who came and would sit on her bed when she was pregnant with my aunt and then again when she was pregnant with my mother. This is the same house my grandparents raised my mother and my aunt and where we would have many family gatherings. I'm the oldest of all the grandchildren and often the only one who would ever stay the night because it would get very dark and very creepy in there at night. As a smaller child, I would always think I would see something but just try to chalk it up to the shadows and my eyes trying to adjust to the dark. Well, this particular night, my grandma had gone to bed. Normally, if my grandpa was gone, I would just sleep in the bed with her, but I wasn't quite sleepy yet and ended up hanging out in the living room because I wanted to watch TV a little longer. Well, obviously, I ended up falling asleep in the recliner. Girl, I do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Almost said, as you do. At some point in the middle of the night, I experienced one of the most terrifying things that has ever happened to me. One second, I was sound asleep, and the next, I was being shaken awake. And when I say shaken, I mean it felt like someone was behind the recliner picking it up and throwing it forward over and over again. Uh Uh-uh. Like someone or something was trying to dump me out of it. I thought for a second in my half-awakened state that maybe I was having a very vivid dream and I had somehow started rocking it in my sleep, but then I had a panicking realization. Y'all. I was not in my grandparents' older rocking recliner that threw your back out every time you tried to throw the handle forward, but their new one that did not rock at all. What? Yeah. Also, I know those old rocking recliners that you're talking about. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It was one of those new, extremely heavy ones that had a motor in it and only reclined or leaned forward when you pushed the button on the remote. So there was no possible way it could be rocking back and forth like that. I just remember hanging on tightly to the armchairs, shutting my eyes, and praying it would go away. Part of me wanted to look back, but there was something that just told me not to and to just ignore it and it would go away. From there, I lost time, and the next thing I knew, I was being woken up again by my grandpa coming home around 6 in the morning. I never said anything to either of my grandparents, not wanting to worry my grandmother, and I knew better than to say anything to mom when I went home the next day. But what she told me sent shivers down my spine. The two of us had been having casual conversation when she made a comment about how she hadn't slept well the night before. When I asked her why not, she said that she had fallen asleep in the living room sitting in my brother's beanbag chair they had given him on Christmas morning. Only my mother. But she said that she had a really bad dream. At this point, I had made my mind up that what I experienced was nothing more than a really vivid bad dream. So I said, oh, what a coincidence. So did I. Now remember, my mom has always been the skeptic and is quick to explain everything away. And when I told her, I saw all of the color drain from her face and she sat straight up. She crossed her arms in her lap raised her eyebrows, and gave me one of those southern, hmm, y'all know the kind I mean, and then shocked me when she finally said she had the same exact thing happen to her on the same night I did, except that she was in our living room and she was sitting in my brother's beanbag chair. Wow. 
At first, I thought it was something in my grandparents' house, but now I'm not so sure. Was it just a creepy coincidence, a weird mother-daughter thing, or is it something more like a family curse, a haunting, question mark? I'm trying not to overthink it anymore and just forget about it, so I'll let y'all decide. But thanks for listening to my ramblings. More where that came from later. Keep it creepy, friends. Love, befuddled Brie. I have no idea what that means, but I can't wait to hear what other people think. Also, one more little aside. Uh, I had one of those recliners when I lived at my parents' house, and that's like that was my recliner. It made for a real treat when Marley was doing something that was bad or she had something that she shouldn't have had. And, you know, you'd be like, Marley, leave it, drop it. But then it's like, and because I had to go down like you couldn't get quickly. So it was just like, you know, like me yelling at her. And then it was like, and you have to wait for like an escalator basically to let you down. (laughs) Really ruined the whole, you know, like I'm mad at you moment. Hey y'all, my name is Emily and here is my sinister sighting. So a few years ago, I lived with my Oma, Grandma, in a pretty old part of my town in Texas. Like, I'm talking 1800s old. Oh, My best friend came over one night and she brought her Ouija board. Her mom had recently passed, so things were rough for her and she wanted to see if maybe they would connect. Well, she connected with her mom aunt and a grandma i connected with my dad and opa we both bawled like big old babies anyway so months passed and we were like you know what let's try this shit again we got on my bed and prayed had our bible out and even a rosary we sat there with the planchette for a while dead no pun intended silence my opa came eventually. He said some things, and then he was basically like, y'all need to get the fuck off of this. We didn't listen. He said goodbye, and we literally got back on. Pretty fast, something came on and said it was my dad. I was like, okay, well, if you're my dad, say something that only you and I would know. It started spelling S-P-A-N-K-I-N-G, back and forth. We looked at each other like, what the fuck? We asked it to say goodbye and we put away the board. Personally, I haven't touched one since that night. But years later, we were talking about it. And my friend, who is way more sensitive to things like that and has had more experiences than I have had, straight up told me, I didn't want to say it that night, but I'm pretty sure what we were talking to was a demon. Well, that's one of my paranormal stories. I have a few I can tell, but for now, creep it real and don't get scared, Emily. What? Wow. I wonder, like, did you get a lot of spankings when you were a kid? Also, I'm just saying maybe I need to get a Ouija board so I can, you know. Meet older men. Meet older men and, you know, spanking, that's uh, that's Right up up your (laughs) alley. Oh, yeah. You could say that. (laughs) But, I mean, really, did you get a lot of spankings when you were a kid? And, like, why did your friend think it was a demon? I must know. Hello, I'm Frankie, and I love listening to your podcast. I'm quite young, but I hope that's okay. I have a few paranormal stories, and they're all pretty short. I'll only tell two, one when I was five and one that's still going on today. I'm 13 now, 14 on May 8th. Well, happy belated birthday. (laughs) 
When I was five, I lived in a house that my parents were renting. I loved sitting at the front of the house and reading while my dad moved stuff around downstairs. The storage area was in the garage, but it was further down. There was a hole on the stairs that led down there, and I had my legs dangling down there. I thought it was fine as my dad was down there looking for something. Uh-oh, you can't let your legs dangle? <laughs> Are you on a Ferris wheel? No, don't let him dangle. Frankie is young. Now they have to learn this stuff. They okay, okay, learn. Okay, okay. Frankie, if you're not on a roller coaster or a Ferris wheel, do not let your feet dangle. Mm-mm. Off the bed, off a stairwell, off of nothing. I was reading One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish when I felt something grab at both of my ankles. I thought it was my dad until I felt it try to pull me under into the dark storage room. I kicked and grunted, trying to fight off what was holding on to me. What seemed like a whole minute, but was probably really three seconds. The thing let go of me, and I ran up the stairs and into my house. I ran downstairs to my dad and asked him if he grabbed onto me, and he denied doing it. I thought it was a witch at the time, and I still don't know what it was that grabbed me to this day. Now, onto my story that is currently happening. We moved out of the old house and moved into one with an elementary school across the street from it. I have always felt something or someone following me around my house and to my old elementary school. When it was around, I always felt safe, though it doesn't look safe. I have seen about a six and a half foot shadow standing at the edge of my bed just watching me. I've told my grandmother and here's what she thinks. She thinks it's a man who bought our house when it was first built in the 50s. His name was Donald and he died a very tragic death. My grandmother also said that I'm insensitive because of how I can always feel spirits around me and I always have. Anyway, I have also felt a hand on my back and a hand touching my hair. I do like Donald's company. He helps me feel better when I'm depressed as I know that he's there for me. If he is only pretending, I don't know when he's going to strike and I'd rather not think about that. I hope you enjoyed my stories. I have a lot more if you do want some. I have one about how my grandmother and her boyfriend at the time might have encountered the Zodiac Killer and more. I'm sorry for droning on, but creep it real and don't get scared, Frankie. Whoa. The Zodiac Killer, your grandmother and her boyfriend. Yes, send that in, please, Frankie. All your stories. And I hope Carrie taught you a lesson that your five-year-old self did not know that nothing should dangle. Okay? Uh Uh-uh. Hey, girls, I'm sending in my sinister sighting and hoping it gets shared. Hang on, it's kind of long. I live in Utah. No, I don't have sister wives, and no, I don't have 12 kids. Only four. Anyways, there's a town about 15 minutes north of where I live. It's the town of Brigham City. A little history back in 1942, not sure if that's the exact year, a military hospital was built. It was called the Bushnell General Army Hospital. At the time, it was the fifth largest military hospital in the world. It could hold up to 2,000 patients, and they specialized in prosthetics, treatment and rehab, treatment for malaria, psychology, neurology slash neurological treatments, and was one of the first hospitals to experiment with penicillin, among other things. In the few years it was open, it is said that the hospital had about a less than 1% death rate. After the war, the hospital fell flat and was classified as semi-permanent. This was due to the overall construction of the building. 
In June 1946, the Army declared it as a surplus, and in July 1949, it was transferred to the Department of the Interior. It underwent a $3 million renovation and in 1950 was turned into the Intermountain Indian School. It housed Native Americans and the children that were housed there typically were there for a good part of a year and they would return home during the summer. It was ran as a typical high school but also acted as a vocational school and provided training in several areas. In 1984, they closed the doors and the building sat abandoned. There were several buildings that were fenced off, and rumor has it the place is haunted. I'm sure you could ask any one of us Utah folks about the school, and someone has either experienced something or knows someone that has had a paranormal experience. If you were caught trying to get into these buildings, you would get some serious shit because, duh, hello, no trespassing. My husband had a niece that is three years younger than me. We will call her Erin. Erin and I have always been pretty close. Erin had moved to Utah from Montana and was living with her grandma and half-sister, Brooke. We were doing a lot of hanging out because she really didn't know anyone here. We were extremely bored one day and the mall just wasn't cutting it. Brooke was significantly younger than me and Erin. Brooke was bored and wanting to do something cool. Me being the cool aunt was like, hey, we can go drive up to that Indian schools in Brigham. Of course, I had to explain to Erin and Brooke what they were and the hauntings that were swirling around these schools. So we packed up the minivan and drove down there. It's in broad daylight, so I'm talking 2.30 p.m. We get up to the school. Aaron and Brooke get out and walk around the fenced-off area just looking at how amazing these structures are. Me being the scaredy cat I am, stayed in the car with my children. Yes, I was very irresponsible and had my children with me. Anyways, they were walking around the fence, and... It had been about 15 minutes. At this time, my kid starts getting very restless. I yell out the window, Hey, let's go. Kids are getting restless. Brooke walks back to the car and gets in. Aaron, on the other hand, makes it halfway to my car, turns around, and goes back to the fence. I'm getting annoyed, and I'm like, Let's go. Aaron says, There's a man over there. He's tall, dark, and no face. He has a wolf, and he wants me to come back. I said, what? She said, that man over there wants me. I need to go back. I said, let's go. After fighting with Brooke to go get Aaron, Aaron finally gets in the car and just watches and watches as we drove away. When the building gets out of sight, Aaron gets as stiff as a board and starts crying. She's not saying anything and is making no noise. She has tears streaming down her face. I'm like, hey, are you okay? She will not respond. I'm shaking her, telling her to knock the bullshit off because it's not funny. She will not say anything. At this point, I'm freaking out. Brooke is freaking out, and we have no idea what to do. I get where I can pull off and pull into a gas station. I try to get Erin out to walk and get fresh air. The girl is maybe 90 pounds soaking wet. I cannot lift her up to get her out of the front seat. She is stuck, almost in the fetal position, and she feels like she weighs at least 600 pounds and is pure dead weight. I look in her eyes and say, Sis, you okay? She has no color in her eyes. They are black. I am shitting my pants, like full-on panic mode. I'm finally able to get her out of the car, and just like that, she falls out of this trance and falls on the ground. 
I have no idea what to do at this point. She's still not talking and still crying. So I do what every cool aunt does and call my husband and tell him something's wrong with Aaron. (laughs) He says, what's going on? I couldn't tell him. I took the girls to school, so I said, I don't know. I'm just scared for her. He then calls 911. When the ambulance arrives to check her out, and everything's fine, except her blood oxygen level was 60%. This girl is as healthy as a horse. No medical issues. They release her. She and Brooke go home. I felt really responsible for nearly killing her, so I had her come stay at my house. For the two days after, she was lethargic and couldn't remember anything except that the no-faced black man with the wolf and the little boy told her that she needed to go. Not only did she see a tall, no-faced black man that was telling her to come back, but she also saw a little boy that told her she needed to leave. To this day, I'm not sure what happened to her, as I don't talk much about it, but I'm also certain she had been possessed. Anyways, creep it real. Love you girls. B. Holy crap. Well, I need to look into that school for an episode, because, whoa. Right? You know, maybe because the dark shadow man with the wolf, he was trying to get her to come back, and the little boy was like, no, go. Maybe he, like, kind of put her in that state where she like just couldn't function Mm -hmm. to keep her safe or for some reason maybe i mean i don't know why her clearly her oxygen saturations dropped very 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 low like whoa yeah and those all could have been hallucinations from the oxygen deprivation oh for sure so it's like which came first the chicken or the egg But also, she's perfectly healthy, so why in the fuck did her oxygen drop so low? Right. Like, my mom, when she first found out that she had COPD, like, when we went to the ER, because she was just, like, falling asleep, and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Her oxygen was 64, Mm -hmm. and she couldn't keep her eyes open, you know? Right. I'm like, Mom, what are you doing? She's like, and I'm just, and I'm like, oh, my God, are you dying? Like, like your battery is gone. You know, she's like, no, I'm good. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so that's 64, you know, so 60, that that 4% is a huge percent. Well, and... You know, with your mom's being COPD, it's something that she's worked down towards. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's not like if my oxygen immediately dropped 64, I'd probably be unconscious too. You know, whereas hers is, her average maybe have, may have been 80. You know, I mean, I'm just yeah. making numbers up. Yeah. But like, let's say her average was 80. So 64 wasn't a huge, it was, it was bad. It was really low. It was enough to make her fall asleep. But it right. wasn't as drastic for her as it would be. For her friend, who's yeah. young and healthy with no reason for her oxygen to drop that low. Which is crazy that my oxygen didn't get that low when I couldn't breathe. Just another, what the fuck, Donna? Your body is really abnormal. Because <laughs> it was blocking my lungs. Yeah. The oxygen to my heart. But my oxygen, oh. my O2 levels were good. Like, they were okay. Yeah. They were good. Yeah. I mean, they were in the 90s, always. I think the lowest I saw you get was like 94. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe 92. So what the hell? What the hell? Don't you like how this was a really 
really good story, and I made it all about me and my experiences. You don't say, Leo. I know. But I did like that story, and I am going to check out that school. All right, next one. Y'all want some quarantine with the side of synchronicity? The following experiences never seemed out of place in a small town where everyone knows your business before you do and your mom and them want to know who your boyfriend's family is just to make sure you're not related. But with Donna on her synchronicity kick and throwing the word around like Fox throws around fake news, it really got my wheels spinning. Friendly disclaimer that busts through like the Kool-Aid man. It's me, your local long-winded bitch. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can't do it. So let's start when I got my first car. Not creepy or spooky, but the first time I experienced synchronicity. My first car was a Kia Sportage, and I had never even heard of it. But my mama got a good deal on one, so I ain't going to say no to a new car. After driving for about a week or so, it was like everybody and their brother had one. I'm not going to lie, the only child syndrome hit hard on that, and I was pister in hell because I was pretty damn stoked to have a car that not everyone else did. I'm over it now, but I still keep a mental tally of the pattern of cars I see while I'm moseying about on the road. I do get that because Tiffany got an Echo when not a lot of people had an Echo, but I saw one in California when I was there in sixth grade, came back, then she got one, Mm -hmm. and then it was like... Boom. A lot of them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now on to the good good. To bring y'all up to speed, my dad passed away nine years ago, and I never got to introduce him to my now husband. Long backstory shortened, my dad was diagnosed with hepatitis C when I was around five or six. My mama knew my daddy's days were numbered, so we did everything. Road trips, spur-of-the-moment vacations, buying stupid things because it made him smile, trading in cars and spending a lot of time gas, miles, and money fetching baseball cards from random people on Craigslist. Not gonna lie, I had a great childhood and we were well off, but we were also massively in debt and basically wondering if my dad was gonna wake up when we did. My entire upbringing, we were always doing things as a family and living for today because we might not get tomorrow. I was so close to my dad because I was with him the most. I was never boy crazy or worried about partying when my friends were. I wasn't a rebellious child. I was anxious to get home and take care of my dad or just spend time with him. When I was starting to drive, we moved into a small house in a little subdivision across from my high school because my dad's health was so bad, he would have bled out before getting to the closest hospital if he even nicked himself shaving. After high school, I chose to go to college really close to home just in case something happened. My junior year of college is when he finally passed. After that, I was lost. A shell of a bubbly, vibrant human, and I tried damn near anything to quote-unquote deal with his death. Spoiler alert, you cannot outrun grief. I fucking tried. I moved a lot, drank even more, and dived really fucking deep into a lot of things. But never Ouija boards. I can recall exactly one time that my daddy said the fuck word and it was, listen, if you ever get a chance or you're with your friends and they try to pressure you into it, never fuck with a Ouija board. And that's the gospel, y'all. Well, one day I got this bright idea for my last best effort to outrun the pain of losing him. I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail alone. 
I went to great lengths to secure stops along the way and had started to save up enough money to disappear for eight months. Seems logical, question mark? I thought so. My mama and my nana prayed that I would change my mind, but they dared not try because my mind was made up. Then I met my husband. Now, remember how I didn't give a shit about boys and partying and then turned into a lost, empty flesh wagon? When I met my husband, I fucking knew he was the one. I couldn't imagine ever leaving his side, so there was no way in hell I was going to leave him for eight months to hike alone. Fuck that. The first day he came over to my house and stayed the night, my mama wasn't home. I was 24 at that point. The next day, she wasn't even mad. She told me that, and I quote, Sissy, you're glowing like your aura is different, because that's how she said aura. What happened to you? So we got that gushy mommy-daughter moment of, well, I met a boy. Now for the good shit. Get your thumbtacks and red yarn ready, because we're going to connect some dots. My maternal grandpa died the day after Aaron and I started dating. The first family member of his that I met was his pawpaw at my granddad's funeral. His pawpaw had no reason to tell him he was going to go to an old man's funeral, and Aaron never thought twice to tell his pawpaw about it. He was just there for support. Well, actually, his first family member that I met was his uncle and older cousin. They went to my church, and she would always sit next to me and my paternal grandparents. I thought she was, quote, the weird kind of weird, so I didn't care to get to know her any closer. Turns out she's still weird, but a good weird. That same granddad, who also cooked the flying fried chicken from my first story, Pawpaw BJ, had hunting property a few counties away. He was always ready to hunt. He would always try to get me to go, but I was not a fan, so he would take some of the younger guys that he took a liking to from work along with him. One of those fellers just happens to be my now brother-in-law. Side note, Aaron gave him my Pawpaw BJ's trucker nuts, you know, the steel nut sacks that dangle from the hitch of trucks. No. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, yeah. Hold on. As a wedding gift with a card that said, since my sister has yours now, BJ wanted me to give you this. Damn. <laughs> Y'all, we went to the same church camp for five summers and have no recollection of seeing or meeting each other. But Aaron remembers a kid who screamed bloody murder, Oh shit, there's bugs in me! During our campfire prayer circa 2001. That was me. Face palm emoji. (laughs) (laughs) I only had to be introduced to four of his friends because the rest were my friends too. His two best friends, Brooks and James, fucking grew up with them. James's dad was a good friend of my dad's, and we were hauled to every softball field in the greater south and shared a playpen back in the day. His sister was one of the only older kids that I was allowed to be in the car with. Brooks, we were in kindergarten together, and I remember he would always laugh at my jokes when no one else would, but he got held back a few times and ended up in Aaron's grade. Flash forward, Brooks and I worked together for several years, and I have him to thank for telling Aaron how to correctly pronounce my name. Our mutual best friend, my ride or die, the beautiful to my creepster, if you will, Megan, she's known my husband longer than me. Never even thought to introduce us. I'm not mad about it, though, because timing is everything, and everything happens for a reason. 
When we got together, she literally saw us holding hands and said, oh my God, duh. (laughs) Our buddy Whitman used to have an antiques and oddity shop in town. I want to go. Right? And he would often have game nights after closing. So the first time I came down with Megan, I saw this kid I used to babysit was absolutely beating Aaron's ass in a match of Magic the Gathering. Whitman goes on to tell me that he knew my dad really well because whenever he would get baseball cards in the shop, he'd call my dad to appraise them or give him the history on the card. This came up in conversation when me and Whitman exchanged cell numbers one night. He made a comment that my number was close to the guy who used to be his baseball card dude. And I was like, yo, that was my dad. Number neighbor game sucks for me because I'm sandwiched between my mom and dad's numbers, but I don't text my dad's number anymore. The first time Aaron met my mama, he shook her hand, and when he noticed her wrist tattoo, the wedding date in Roman numerals, he asked, why do you have my birthday tattooed on your wrist? Shut the fuck up. Uh Uh-huh. This man was born on my parents' third wedding anniversary. So she's grabbing his hand really hard, sobbing because, A, she regretted the tattoo as soon as it was done, B, she had done really well at forgetting about the tattoo, and C, she just couldn't believe it. So through her ugly cry and hand hostage situation, she said, Oh my God, sis, he's a keeper. The first conversation I had with my father-in-law, he tells me that he remembers my dad from high school and how they both were afraid of water. My dad couldn't swim and my father-in-law almost drowned as a kid. However, a family friend sacrificed himself to save my father-in-law. That family friend was my third cousin. I grew up hearing this story, and it was used to deter me from swimming by my paranoid grandparents. I was a strong-willed fish child, and they couldn't stop the flop. (laughs) (laughs) I still flop, but mostly on the couch now. You know, hashtag quarantine 2020. My maternal great-grandparents and A's paternal great-grandparents lived in the same holler and often took fishing trips and picnics together. This particular trip was a family reunion at Lake Carnico. Father-in-law was just a little boy, maybe five-ish. He was swimming and got out a bit too far. My cousin, Junior, was the first one to notice kid father-in-law struggling, so he jumped in to save him. Turns out, he was caught in a freakishly strong whirlpool. They're common in lakes, but not usually powerful. So Junior was able to free kid father-in-law from the whirlpool, but because it was so far out, he started to get muscle cramps. Mm. With the water twisting and churning and his legs cramped, he wasn't able to fight it himself. By the time everyone else realized what was happening, they were able to get kid father-in-law, but didn't make it out in time to save Junior. He was pulled under and sadly lost his life. The most recent synchronicity is that I have a picture that my mom gave me about two months ago. It's a photo of my dad kneeled down holding a deer. He's on a concrete floor with two doors in the background. Stainless steel tables line the walls. He's kneeling in my kitchen, only it's 20-something years ago. The house my husband and I currently live in used to function as a slaughterhouse that was built by his great-grandfather. What is now our kitchen used to be the kill floor of Estepe's Packing House. I'm sorry if I said his name wrong. Wow. It's where game and livestock were properly dressed and gutted before being broken down into cuts of meat or packaged into sausage. 
At the start of the kill floor, just outside the office, many members of the community that came to my husband's family for their meat processing needs would pose for photos with their kills. This photo of my dad happens to be right where our fridge sits now. When we converted the warehouse to livable square footage, we boarded up the doors to the office and walled it off as part of the kitchen. It's funny, my dad always finds ways to visit me in, near, or around a fridge. I'm happy to say that finding my husband really helped me heal from the loss of my dad. If you want the secret to a happy relationship, listen up. Don't get jealous, always communicate, and flirt with each other every chance you get. It will keep you young and you will find some new reason to fall in love over and over again. Remember, creep it real and don't fuck with Ouija boards. Dana. Well, you remember how you made that other story about you? I'll make this one about me. Okay. That's kind of how Colby and I are. I mean, y'all know we've said it before. Like, he was in the same second grade class that Donna and I were in when we met each other. And it's like our, our families have lived these parallel lives. Like, our parents had all of these same friends. Like, I'm talking, like, best friends and didn't know each other. Like, it was like, again, parallel lives. So it's crazy how it's very similar. And it was pretty instant with Colby, too, that, like, I knew, like, okay, this is the real deal, you know? Yeah. Wow. So I completely understand this email. Well, that's insane how many connections y'all had that y'all didn't, like, y'all seen each other, but you didn't know each other. And even your, like, closest friends not putting it together that no y'all fit you know yeah because again timing truly is everything yeah because you know what you know to make it about me again <laughs> one time when i was in lake charles at a mardi gras ball at laberge the casino colby we figured out was there that night because he was working in lake charles had like worked there for like a year and he was at the casino that night because he was like, yeah, I saw a ball, like, like I, like I, you know, saw everybody in their gowns and stuff. Like, we put it together that we were both there that night and just like passed each other, you know, never saw each other. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, how crazy is that? Yeah, because the timing wasn't right. Yeah. All right. The next one. Hey, beautiful ladies. I came across your podcast a couple of months ago and haven't been able to stop listening. Dumb blonde moment, though. Wonder why your podcast was named with what it was. Light bulb just figured it out. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's literally everyone who says that. It's like, why? Oh, I get it. Yes. So, yeah, you're not alone. Yes. And for the record, a paranormal chicks is a it's supposed to be a play on words with a pair of normal chicks, but y'all don't get it because we're not normal, y'all. True, you're like yeah, you, you're the the concept is skewed because of who we are. Yeah, you're like it's not that because that's not them. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, just wanted to share a little bit of how I grew up with all of you. Since I can remember, my mom has always told me stories about all the things that she would experience as a kid. My family owned a very, very old home from the early 1800s in a town in New England. The home used to be the rectory for an old church, which still stands across the street from my house. My mom used to tell me horrifying stories about how she would be afraid to go to sleep when she was growing up. Anywhere from seeing shadows in her room, sleep paralysis, to her bed moving across the room while she slept. 
She even put tape on the floor one night under the post of her bed to see how much it would move, and it definitely moved a couple of feet. All the stories seemed out of this world while I was growing up, but flash forward, I'm a teenager, I'm moving to that house. I start experiencing things I cannot explain. I vividly remembered the first time I knew I wasn't alone. I was laying in bed on my back, trying to fall asleep, and all of a sudden, my legs went numb. I was under the blankets, and picture laying on your back with your feet sticking straight up towards the ceiling. I watched my toes tip forward towards the wall. At that point, I was not in control of my legs at all. I used to hear someone walking around the hallway and crying. I'm now grown up. It seems like whatever I used to see comes and goes as he pleases. Sometimes my mother experiences it and sometimes I experience it. It got to the point where we were so afraid to meet people because we were afraid of what would latch onto them. No matter what house we live in, no matter where we've gone, it's always followed us. When my son was born, I was so afraid that whatever it was would follow him. Now he's six, and while he was around four years old, he used to talk to the man he could see in his room. Totally terrifying for the mom who's experienced this her whole life. His room used to smell like old cigars and gross cologne. We actually had to ask members of our church to be praying over our home because of how out of control it got. The man has since left and doesn't bother my son. We are in a low season, meaning no activity recently. But we are all just waiting We know it's coming back. It always does. Lots of stories to tell you, ladies, but that's for another time. I'll leave you with this. My boyfriend, who was killed in a car accident at 16, used to come visit me. We'll talk more about that next time. Keep on creeping. Well, what a season cliffhanger that is. I mean, do you write for fucking 48 hours? I know. I'm like, uh, can you send another email? If you send another email, tell me because I will search for that because I need to know. Right. Donna will break our chain of custody and she will read it before. <sighs> that was, that's good. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that your son's okay. Golly. Also, I do not need any smells. You know what? That would be my problem. My house would get haunted, but it would be by like something, some cleaner because they would have bleach and I would be like out in hives the whole time. Mm-hmm. Be like, can y'all just do some old like cigarette smell or some shit like that can it just be normal some shit i grew up around yeah let's be nostalgic if you're gonna be old ghosts right this one's called my family comes back hey girls so i just discovered your podcast and i gotta say it's very entertaining and just listening to y'all two gab and laugh while you're enjoying the stories makes me feel like i'm sitting with a group of girlfriends so thank you for that so anyway this might be a little long but i'm gonna try to keep it short So it all started when my grandmother passed away about, gosh, 11 years ago, maybe. It doesn't seem that long. Anyway, so after she passed, I started having dreams with her visiting me in my dreams, and so did my cousin. Well, later, I found out that one night in my aunt and uncle's house that she passed away in, the lights were going off and on upstairs, and no one was up there. The only people in the house were my aunt and uncle. So one of them hollered up the stairs and told Mama to stop, and it did. And if that's not creepy enough, a couple of years later, my uncle, the one from the previous story, passed away of COPD and emphysema. Well, like a week or so after he passed, my aunt saw him sitting on the edge of the bed like he used to do when he had to catch his breath. And last but not least, 
my mom's sister, which is also the sister of my uncle that passed, and the daughter of my grandmother that passed. Anyways, a few years later, she passed away from lung cancer, and a year after that, it was her oldest son's birthday, and he got a text message from her old phone number that said, Happy birthday, son. I love you. Oh, my God. And when he called the phone number, it was disconnected. (gasps) So all three of those people were from my mom's side of the family, and we just joke about it and say that when we pass, we will come back, and you're not done with us yet. I have a few more supernatural stories, including the fact that my 13-year-old daughter can see spirits, but I will save that for another email. Keep on creeping on, and have a great day, Nikki. You know what all of these stories had in common? Cliffhangers. Right. Like, we need a Sinister Sightings episode part, duh. (laughs) Like, whew. Y'all, these stories were so good tonight. I mean, well, today. Well, whenever you listen to this episode, they were good. Yes, as always. Oh, that sounded just... It sure did. I mean, like, damn, you still in my life. Right. No. I mean, as always, they sounded good. Yes. Just they sounded good how you read them. They sounded good or they just were good. They were good. <laughs> but uh, they also sounded good. I mean, the fucking Leo over here. <laughs> I mean, in my most frequent used emojis, it is the the girl emoji with her hand out to the side. Mm-mm. That, I mean, Leo. Well... Keep sending in those emails, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.